this webinar, this level one doula givers training is so effective that I put it online and then so people could join from all over the world, right? And this is almost two decades ago and we still do this every single month. I'm Suzanne O'Brien, former hospice and oncology nurse and now the founder of the International Doula Givers Institute. My life's purpose is to teach others how to care for those at the end of life. So if you are a family member wanting to learn how to care for someone you love at the end of life, or you are someone who wants to be a professional end of life practitioner, this is the place for you. So sit back, get a cup of tea and relax. This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Don't forget that the free webinar is coming up so soon. It is live, and we're going to be on there answering your questions after the training. So if you want to take part in learning how to care for someone at the end of life, the link is below. Okay, today we are talking about, I'm asked all of the time, Suzanne, what makes a good death doula? What makes a great death doula. And we really want to break this down because this is a movement and this is something that people are responding to globally. They are being called forth. They're having that, that calling, that guided impulse to care for people at the end of life, to learn this lost skill. This was something, again, that was handed down generationally from grandmothers to grandchildren. And we've all but lost it in our world today, but we're bringing it back. So if you are interested in being a death doula professionally, I really want to share with you my personal opinion. And I have a lot of background in this and share with you how important it is for you to do your research. If you are going to invest your time and your money into something, you want to do your homework. You want to make sure the program that you are going to be part of has the curriculum and is matching what you want to learn and is coming from a reputable teacher. This is, unfortunately, this is now something that is making lots of news, right? Lots of buzz about the death doula now. And with that, there just becomes people that water down the, unfortunately, the field, creating certificate programs. Anyone can have a website that looks great and shiny, but is there substance behind it? Is it coming from an actual person with background? Is it credible? You want to do your homework and do your research and make sure that it matches what you want to learn. You can have death doula training A, death doula training B, and death doula training C, and they can all be the same title with completely different curriculums, and they usually are. That being said, there are some great trainings out there and wonderful teachers, so do your homework and follow your heart. So I'm going to give you, in this episode, I am going to share with you what I feel makes a really good death doula, and also what we're doing at Doula Givers and how our training, we're always asked this as well. Well, what makes your training different than other trainings? And so I want to share with you a little bit about what Doula Givers is doing. And of course, for those of you who've been following us, we have recently in the last year taken away our standalone death doula certification and only offer one very high level, full spectrum, non-medical holistic end of life practitioner certification known as the doula giver specialist. And why is that important? Because anything that you can contribute to this space is wonderful. However, I know that swooping in at the end when somebody has an end of life 
And being that end of life doula is a beautiful thing, but that alone is not making the end of life better. It's helping, but an end of life, a good end of life starts way back here with picking your choices and understanding what things mean, putting them in writing, sharing them with your loved ones, your family, and your doctor, and planning on aging well. It's the full spectrum of caring for our elders, of, of knowing what we would want or not want for end of life before we ever get there, how to secure those wishes so that they are legally binding, which right now there is miscommunication. There's misunderstanding that an advanced directive is a legally binding document. It is not a legally binding document. And so families need to know what I call these doula giver pearls so that they can ensure and protect their wishes and know that they will be honored and also how to make them legally binding. So we give lots of information on that. The, the point is a good end of life starts way before we ever get there with living each day, like it's one little lifetime with choosing what quality of life is to me subjectively and how to make sure that I write out and choose when I would want to continue being kept alive and when would be a time that I'd want to focus on quality of life, comfort care measures, symptom management measures. Because sometimes when we, well, I know all the time when we don't choose, it's, it's, it's the choices are made for us and they're usually what we don't want, but here's what happens. It goes into default, what I call the medical treadmill. When it goes into default and we start just as medical practitioners, focusing on keeping somebody alive, keeping somebody alive and living are two very different things. And we can keep people alive. We know how to do that as medical practitioners. We know how to keep people alive. We know how to keep hearts beating and, and breath going. But sometimes that's accompanied by a degree of suffering and pain and lack of quality of life, lack of dignity, all the above that costs us more than you can ever imagine. And so when we don't choose for ourselves, it goes into default and that default can be really painful, emotionally, financially, spiritually, emotionally, all of it. So we wanna be clear on again, making my own choices now leads to that good end of life. Now, is it always gonna go as perfectly planned? No, just as you wouldn't have a baby without having a birth plan. We don't have we don't have babies without having birth plans for the most part. Does it always follow the exact plan that we lay out? No, because that's just the nature of what happens. Why are we having end of life and death without having a death plan? And again, it's not always gonna follow that structured every single thing that we've chosen, but at least we have a foundational blueprint to go by. And at least we have some solid information of how I can support that person in their wishes because it's their journey. And so today we are going to discuss what makes a really good death doula. And I'm just going to share with you what I feel from my background and what, how this role of the death doula was born. So I want to, if I may share with you my background as a hospice nurse and an oncology nurse. And, you know, few years into, well, first of all, I had found my calling. So I absolutely fell in love and knew that this was the first day on hospice. This was exactly where I was supposed to be. 
supporting patients and families in this space of end of life. And it was like a piece of puzzle fitting. It was like breathing for the first time. It was like you had found it, you know, you found your purpose, your calling, or as I say, now you aligned with it because it's always been there, but you aligned with it. And I remember not having good end of life. So most of them were not going well. I have to remind you that death is the number one fear in the world. I have to remind you that as a hospice nurse, I was only there for one hour once a week if my patient was what you call stable. And I need to remind you that the model of hospice is that the hospice nurse teaches the family how to do the end of life care. How can we do that with fear of death, with the nurse only there once, one hour, once a week, it's fragmented. It doesn't work. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work because I lived it. And many other people speak about the same thing. So I went to, I had an idea and I said, well, if the hospice nurse is supposed to teach the loved ones how to do end of life care, and I'm only there for an hour, once a week, and people are coming on hospice services very late in the process. What about if I could put together a training program in these three phases with interventions to use in each one of the end of life phases and give it to families and teach them hopefully even before they ever need it. And I went to my CEO of hospice and I knocked on his door. I had never spoken to him in person before. And I said, my, you know, the end of lives are not going well for most patients and families. And we can't go back and do that again. We have one opportunity to have it go well. And I said, I have an idea. I created this training with all my bedside knowledge and I gave it to him and he said, he looked at it and he said, this is great. We can't use it. I said, why not? He said, because we won't get reimbursed for it. We won't get reimbursed for it from insurance. It was so frustrating that here was obviously the answer, right? This training in its totality, three phases of end of life, shock phase, stabilization phase, transition phase, then how to share with somebody the steps and stages of actively dying, how to set a sacred space, all the beautiful things that we can do at end of life to make it go well. And finally, I, I asked him, well, what is the reimbursement? What is the reimbursement? And people on hospice, the hospice is paid what you call a daily per diem. And it was $166 at the time. And I said, oh, just keep your money. I said, I'm going to go to the local library and offer this and teach it for free. And that's what I did. And that's what I did. And do you know that there wasn't a chair left in the room? They were pulling chairs from other classrooms and putting it in the lecture room. And this webinar, this level one doula givers training is so effective that I put it online and then so people could join from all over the world, right? And this is almost two decades ago and we still do this every single month. We have people that have joined from all over the world and today you have a global death doula movement. It is such an honor to be in this space and to teach everything that I know. So now when I was doing those free level one trainings in the library, people came up to me after several and said, you know, I could do this. I could be a doula, like a birth, like a birth doula, but for death. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And then when I went in 2012, I volunteered in Zimbabwe, Africa, and they don't have the high level of, you know, medical equipment and medicines and surgeries that we have here. And yet what they were doing is taking a, a neighbor 
to the person who was dying, somebody in the village and training them to sit with that patient and family, just knowing the steps and stages and how the physiology of end of life is for the duration for that, holding that space, like a, like a birthing doula. That's what I thought. So when I came back, I really just wrote this doula givers training and built this out. And it is the answer when we have a fragmented medical system that is dictating how much time we can spend with someone who's dying and their family, we're doing something wrong. So when we put a money amount and a time limit on end of life care, we're doing something wrong. And because all of the conversation with, well, we're not gonna get reimbursed for it. We can't, even though this is a great training and it's beautiful and it makes so much sense how much it would help, we can't do it because it doesn't fit in the reimbursement structure of how things are set up. And so I said, keep your money. It's okay, this is not about money. This is about people having the opportunity that they have one chance at doing of supporting their loved one and themselves and having the most positive, natural, sacred end of life possible. So I taught it at the library and then I put it online. And now we have had over 300,000 people to date take the level one training. Now that that is incredible, but we're just at the tip of the iceberg. So let's talk about the professional death doula. And what makes a really good professional death doula? So let me, why I told you that first story, well, I think it's very important and very interesting how, where we are right now in this movement. But I also want you to know that the system, the mainstream medical system is fragmented. I don't think that's a surprise. I think everyone knows that there's very limited time as a nurse, as a doctor to spend with your actual patients. And it's a mess. We saw what happened when COVID happened. When there's a high need all at once, the system breaks. The system breaks, everyone suffers. The medical personnel break, breaks my heart because they're there and they're absolute heroes, what they're trying to do. The family suffer, the patients suffer. So it's, a, it's not a win across the board, it's a lose across the board because I like wins across the board. So the death doula was created in a non-medical capacity so they can be the eyes and ears for the hospice team, for the mainstream medical team who are not able to be physically there. Um, again, Medicare did a study and said, determined that there is a hospice worker in the home on the average 30 minutes on average one, once a day, they're for 30 minutes for end-of-life patients. And end-of-life is 24-7 so that doula, that death doula, that doula giver is highly trained in disease processes, physiology, everything that they need to know so that they can be the eyes and ears for the hospice team, for the mainstream medical team, alerting them of the changes and what's needed. So that was the answer to me because it got us away from the reimbursement Finally, I heard reimbursement so many times. I said, well, take it out of the reimbursement. If we take it out of there and it's non-medical and it's not reimbursable, then we don't have anyone telling us how much time we have to spend with people. We can do this all on what's on our hearts and how, how it needs to be done. So it was pretty amazing. However, they have all the education that even we have hospice workers take the doula givers training. And this is such an honor 
um, and I'm so humbled by it, saying how much they learned from this training. And I'll tell you why. This is what I think. Because of my background as a hospice nurse, because of my background as an oncology nurse, I have pulled all of that bedside experience. So with over a thousand people at the end of life and put it into one training program. So I transfer all of that knowledge, all of that wisdom, all of those opportunities that I had to see certain things and what worked and what didn't into one training program. And the training is used with real patient case studies. So you get that practicum of putting it into application after you learn the theory of it, you get to put it into case studies because there's not one end of life that's exactly like another. So in my opinion, a great death doula is somebody who I don't want to say knows more or has more experience than a hospice nurse, but I will also say that there were times in hospice that I saw one thing in five years. I saw one thing in three years and I had to learn it as I was going. I learned basically everything about end of life care on the job. And when you put it in a training program that has over a decade and a thousand patients in one place, instantly that student gets all of that knowledge that's priceless. And so when they can come into a scenario where they're now practicing they know what they're doing. They know what they're seeing. They know what to anticipate in that disease process, in that end of life, to alert hospice again that there's changes and to be ahead of it. And what I think is highly effective and so necessary, and I'll always say that end of life time is not on our side at the end of life. We're always racing against it. We're always chasing against it. Is the doula giver, death doula, to have the background and the knowledge can look at that end of life scenario and anticipate based on the disease process and other things that she or he is seeing, anticipate the needs of what that person and family are going to experience and need and put them in the house ahead of time, ahead of time. Because many times things will happen at two o'clock in the morning and you don't have this medication and you weren't prepared that this was going to happen with this end of life disease process. And now you're petrified and you're racing against it. And it's a horrible, horrible experience when that happens. So being ahead of it, anticipating the, the needs, making sure that the family is supported, educated, and has the equipment and the medicines that they need in the home and are prepared ahead of time. Because once that person reaches a transition phase, they go through many steps and stages as the body is shutting down and it can be very quick and very scary. And when you don't know what's happening, that alone can be absolutely petrifying. So we want to make sure that families are supported. And I wanna tell you this, that we just forgot that death is not a medical experience. It's a human one. And it can go really, really well with the right kindness, education, and support. I promise you that. And we only have one opportunity to have it go well. We need to do everything that we possibly can to educate and support people everywhere in the world so that they have the opportunity to have a positive end of life with their loved one. We only have one opportunity to have that go well. And that's why if you follow doula givers, you know that we are advocates on end of life and giving as much free education as we possibly can. 
So a death doula, a good death doula will know the physiology, the disease processes, be highly educated. The other thing that I want to say that makes a good death doula is somebody who has good self-care practice. Guilty, I will raise my hand. This is a work in progress. I am getting so much better at it, but it is a work in progress. And it was something that was not part of really my existence when I was a hospice nurse and an oncology nurse. In fact, right now, if you can think of any medical professionals that you know that work in that discipline, uh, they might be you know, very stressed. They might be... Um, ill, they might not be, you can, you can just picture them, right? Because they're, they're working in such a high stressful environment and there's no time. They're just working, working, working. Where's the self-care? I remember when I was in the oncology unit, there was a very large man and he had very low uh, blood counts and platelet counts, which are your, your clotting factors because he was on chemotherapy. And that makes you very weak. And he had no clotting factors. And I remember I was taking care of him this day and he went to fall. So I was in his room with him and he was over six foot and he went to fall. And if he had fallen, he would have, you know, had internal bleeding. It could have been a disaster. So I caught him. And when I caught him, I threw my back out like really bad. So he was okay. So that's, that's the good news. And then I remember my back was completely out and coming. So my mother who had had some back problems, she had a belt and she, so I went to her house and she put this belt on me. And, you know, if you try to get into your own doctor, sometimes it takes time to get an appointment. And I remember showing up to work the next day in oncology, working those 15 hour shifts with this belt on and my back, I was completely crooked and the spasms were unreal. And I'm not faulting anyone. I know everyone's in a lot of pressure, but my manager just looked at me and didn't say anything. Didn't say, are you okay to work? Do you think you can work? You shouldn't be at work, <laughs> which was really the answer, by the way. And I remember finally getting into my doctor and I went into my doctor and she completely flipped out. She said, your muscle, I forget which one it was, on your back is completely twisted. She said, you are out. You are out of work until you, you know, fix this situation. Um, you go home and you're, you're out. And so what really the point that I want to drive home here is how much pressure and stress and unhealthy conditions our mainstream medical is under. And everyone, you know, is trying to, I guess, make sure that they're covered. And so even when it was quite apparent that I did, I shouldn't be at work under it, those conditions, it wasn't talked about. It wasn't said, nobody, nobody asked. They just want you to do what you need to do. You have got to make sure that you're doing self-care. You have got to make sure that you are doing self-care. And I want to tell you this, when you are caring for yourself, you're caring for all of your patients. You're caring for all of the families because you show up as the healthiest, best version of you, of you. And the other thing that I want to say is end of life is a very stressful place to work in. So if you were, if you were thinking of becoming a death doula, it has to be something that is guiding you in your heart to become a death doula, to be called to work in this space. It is the hardest work I've ever done. 
but it's the most rewarding work I've ever done. And it will change your life. If you are being called and you accept to do this because we have choices, right? Your life will change in the most beautiful ways that I cannot even express in words, but it is a calling. So this can only be something that you're called to. So end of life is very stressful right now. You'll see painful things. You'll see things that shouldn't be done, just the emotion of it all, because most people are having end of lives that are not going well and people are suffering and, and the families are heavy, heavy pain and grief that does not need to be there and shouldn't be part of this. But when we don't talk about it and educate and support people ahead of time, when it shows up, it usually obviously is a train wreck. And this can wear you down energetically, physically. So you have got to have really good self-care practice, be part of a community, be able to debrief as part of working as a death doula in, in this space. So let me tell you what we've done at Doula Giver. So we have this one high level doula giver specialist practitioner, which is a holistic, non-medical end of life, full spectrum end of life care practitioner elder care, end of life care, and care consulting. So our, our graduates, our pr practitioners that are doula giver specialists have three different offerings that they can then serve their communities. And that's why I always will say, if you want to do this and make a full-time income, you cannot just do this as an end of life doula, unless you're working in a nursing home or in a hospice that's paying for a full-time position. Other than that, you have got to offer care consulting services, elder care services, even grief services that we have within this so that you have a full variety of things that you can offer your community to allow you to have that full-time income. Most people do a combination of the care consulting, which again is a huge part of a positive end of life and end of life doula. So it depends on where you're called, more of that um, in another podcast or in the program, following what your gift is within this space. I love to teach. I love bedside, but I also, I know that I am here to be a teacher, to teach what I know, because most people don't have this information. That has the ripple effect. If I can give great education to people who show up that are called to be practitioners in this space, and then they go out into the world and serve their communities. Now we have a shift. Now we have a ripple effect. Now we have changed end of life. What a beautiful thing. So if you are called, please join us. Now, our doula giver practitioner course. So let me share a little bit. It's so exciting what we're, so we're always wanting to say, how can we improve? How can we show up? How can we make this better? So now as we have the one course, the doula giver specialist, we have in there the certified end of life doula, the care consultant doula, and the elder care doula. And I just want to share a little bit about what we're doing um, within each of those certifications. So first of all, many people are called to this space without a background in end of life, without a medical background. You do not need a medical background. You do not need any background and end of life. I had zero background in end of life care when I was being called to hospice for my heart. Was that scary? Yeah. First, first I said, this doesn't make any sense. Why am I being called to work at hospice, go to hospice when I have no end of life experience, leaving a job with good hours, good benefits, all of that to take something with no 
no end of life experience, but it kept calling me. And every time I thought about it, I got this feeling that I've never felt before, this feeling of purpose and fulfillment and a connection to something so much greater than I have ever known. So I said, I'm just going to follow this. I don't know what this calling is, but I haven't figured it out. I know there has to be more in life. And I said, I'm just going to trust this. I'm just going to follow this and see what this is. And the very first day I went out to see hospice patients, I knew I was in the exact place I was supposed to be in, in my life. And I was like a puzzle piece just fitting. And I said to myself, I literally said to myself that day, I am never making another decision other than what do I, what do I feel? Not what do I think? What do I feel? Because that is how life works. It's following your heart, following your inspired guidance is where, and taking inspired action to do that, trusting and believing in that will open up all of the magic that this lifetime has for you. That's how life works. So that's a little life pearl, life lesson. So what we're always wanting to do is see how we can, again, show up for our practitioners. So what we've put together now is we've put together the instructor guide. So instruct for each of those categories for the end. So let me use the end of life doula as an example, the end of life doula practitioner guide. So the one for the practitioner and then one for the client. And so what does this mean? This means that you don't have to try and remember everything that you learned in the course it's going to be, and you, your course is open to you for lifetime. And there's always meetings and ongoing coaching that we do, but you might be a little intimidated if you're somebody like myself, like I was, who didn't have any end of life experience and was stepping out in faith to do that. How do I know that I'm going to have the right answers? How, how do I know that I'm going to be able to be of service and support in this end of life scenario? Well, this lays it all out for you because it has in it. So I'm just gonna share with you what's in this guide because we love it and we're so excited about um, what we have put together. Your role as a certified doula giver specialist talking to you about what your role is, what it isn't. Then this is really the game changer here. We have now included evidence-based goals of care. So we have care plans for you within the end of life doula role that have evidence-based goals. So what you're going to do is let's just say Mrs. Miller wants her pain to be a, a two or a three. She'd like to keep her pain. She's been in a lot of pain in her life. She wants to keep her pain at a two and a three. That's her goal. Okay. Because this is based on what they want. Right. And then what interventions are you going to start listing out to, to meet that goal. So for instance, educating the caregiver on great pain management. How does pain management work? Um, making sure they're comfortable with the comfort kit from hospice. And if they're not having that hospice nurse, because a death doula will never give a medication or teach medications, but we evaluate the level of comprehension and understanding of the caregiver of those medications. And it's one of the missed, most missed areas that people don't understand uh, pain. And so the interventions that you're going to use are going to be, and trying maybe even other, what about non-medical um, modalities for pain? Maybe she likes Reiki or massage therapy or um, you know, a, a heating pad. It, it can depend on what kind of pain she was having and where and, and all these different things. 
So you have your goal set by the patient, the patient and the caregiver. You then have your interventions that you're going to learn to use in the program as the death doula. And then you're going to say, was the goal met? So you go back to the goal. Mrs. Miller wants her pain at a two and a three consistently or lower throughout the rest of her days. Was that on evaluation? Was that goal met based on the interventions? A yes or no. Now, hopefully it's going to be a yes, right? So if it's a yes, you say as evidenced by Mrs. Miller being able to meet with friends, Mrs. Miller stating that her pain is a one, Mrs. Miller saying she feels better than she has in 30 years. So you're going to have evidence-based goals within your care plans as an end-of-life doula. So what we've done is taken the nine main caregiving plans, plans of care for death doulas in the end-of-life doula space. So we have that within your instructor guide. So it's all laid out for you. So obviously I use pain as a, as one of the examples, but there's also nausea and it's not just physical symptoms. There's emotional, there's spiritual, there's family dynamics. This nine main care plans with again, evidence-based goal care plans attached to them. So you as the new death doula, doula giver will come in, go through your instructor guide and it will literally lay out for you the nine care plans that a death doula is supposed to make sure are implemented and goals met so that they can know that that patient and family had the highest quality end of life scenario possible. It's amazing. So you've got your instructor guide and then there's a client guide and the client guide will have education that we have that we want you to teach the family, things that you wanna go over. Um, and so then you have your guide that you can write notes and use your care plan so you can make sure that you meet the goal. Now let's just say in that first scenario that the goal was not met. So there's a place where it says, is goal met or not met? And, and you put, no, it's not met. Mrs. Miller is saying that her pain is a five a five and a six and a, and and she has tingling pain. And so you now need to dig deeper and say, why is that? Now, the first thing, the first thing that you should think of is that there's not a therapeutic medication regimen and hospice is in and out as we know, and they're a wonderful organization. The theory of hospice, the model of hospice is beautiful. The way it's going right now, it's not working. There's major gaps in care. The hospice nurse can only know to put in for a change in medication orders based on knowing that the patient is having pain, knowing that it's not working. Like she might be there and everything was fine at one o'clock on a Tuesday. And then at about seven o'clock at night, that person's having a lot of pain because the long acting medicine's wearing off. It's not in a therapeutic range anymore. So the first thing you would always go to is tight symptom management. And so rewriting the interventions of what you would do until you obtain that goal of the pain being at a two or a three consistently. So this is very, very doable for absolutely anyone. And this is why I want to make sure that if you feel that this is something you wanna do, you do not need to have a medical background and you do not need to have any end of life experience. It's all in the program and your guidebooks and how we've worked it is all laid out for you. It is beautiful and amazing. So then we will also have you teach the family about the three question technique. And that's doula givers, three questions where we teach our doula givers as well. And then we have you teach the family caregiver 
that every single day they should be saying, are there any acute issues? Are there any safety issues? And what is the support system? And of course, there's other things within the guidebook that is absolutely amazing. But what you should know is that a really good death doula is somebody who number one is called in every cell of her being to be a death doula. It's got to be where you can't look away. It's got to be where I have to do this. Not do I want to do this. I have to do this. This is what I'm supposed to be showing up for. The second thing is to get your education, to get your education. And it's becoming very clear out there that there's people practicing without any professional training. And, and I'm not saying you can't do that. Legally, you can do that. Ethically and morally, I think it gets a little bit interesting because people aren't always having disclosure on how much experience they have or lack thereof. And it's becoming clear. And it's also causing a little bit of problems out in the world because one family has a great experience with a death doula and then recommends someone to get another death doula and that other death doula does not have any background and now it's a problem. Why is there such disjointed um, levels of comprehension as a practitioner within this space? So there's criteria for family who are choosing a death doula, what we recommend that they find out. And again, as long as you're being honest with what services you offer, what, what training you have or lack thereof, then I think that that's a wonderful thing. You should also price your doula services accordingly. If you don't have experience, if you don't have professional training, um, maybe you want to do this, you know, for family, friends, and your community for free. And that's a beautiful thing. And there are people that are doing that as well. So just being very clear on, on the, you know, I think the ethics within the world of being a death doula as well. And that's one of the things we wanted to separate. I really wanted to, first of all, I want to put out the best and the highest level of an end-of-life practitioner non-medically that I possibly could. And I know that being a full spectrum is really what makes a great practitioner and what's really going to shift the culture of end-of-life. And then also I wanted to pull away from any gray area that I don't want to be in a pool with people who are not doing the correct thing necessarily by this movement and by this profession. But that that happens with everything that becomes um, popular. So there's no judgment here, just what it is. So we just want to make sure that we're always showing up. And then I really want to emphasize that the doula givers has a lot of medical. It's a really a medical training for the non-medical practitioner. And that really is the doula givers difference that the doula giver is able to anticipate and put things in place before that patient and family ever need them because end of life goes so quickly. And at two o'clock in the morning, when that family does not have what they need for their loved one, it'll seem like an eternity. And we can anticipate the needs. End of life, we tend to shut down the same way. Disease processes, we know what the symptom management is that. We know what to expect with disease processes as they unfold, as they get closer. And there are many, several, that actually end in end of life being an air hunger, that person not being able to breathe, to get air in. And there's nothing, I will be very honest with you right now, there's nothing worse than that. And because these disease processes like liver cancer, like liver disease, um, ALS, things that you may not associate with not being able to breathe end at the end of life with somebody with air hunger. 
And that is something we need to have a very tight care plan for and be ahead of ahead of time. So that's just an example. So if you want to be a death doula, please follow your calling. It's one of the best things that you will ever decide to do if it's your path and in your heart. Get professional training and do your research. Make sure the training matches what you want to learn. Business marketing, that they have the education, they have ongoing CEU training and association or ongoing community that you can reach out to. And then also you want to just make sure that this is your calling and what you want to do and make it the easiest for you to be able to fulfill that. So your training should have, again, the business, the marketing, all of the education within it, ongoing community support. And if you choose those things, you will be so happy and such an effective end of life death doula. Um, and if you'd like to learn more about doula givers, we have the discovery webinar for death doulas that we give and it is live. And then I stay on and answer your questions. So it's something that I highly recommend just as you're gathering your information that you join and that you do, and that you can ask questions as well. So this was how to be a great death doula. And again, if you are called to serve patients and families at the end of life, it is the greatest decision that you will ever make. Thank you so much, everyone. This was Suzanne O'Brien. Thank you for being on this episode of Ask a Death Doula. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for being part of Ask a Death Doula podcast. Please remember that everyone everywhere has the ability to have the good death with the right education, kindness, and support. See you in the next episode.